How you doing today, Brian? Hey, I'm good, Nick. How about you? Doing good. We just had a long conversation about uh, toxic workplaces following you from home and micromanagement kind of in general. You know, it's funny. I mean, at the time of this recording, we are effectively at about the one year anniversary where so many companies really shifted into full on 100% remote work uh, in those types of roles where it could be done. So um, maybe we're a little late in the game to, uh, you know, be addressing this topic. But at the same time, as many companies are gearing up to return back into their physical workplaces, it's uh, worthwhile to be mindful of some of the tendencies that I think we, we bring up that uh, can be toxic, whether you're working in a physical environment or working remote. Exactly. There, I mean, if it was a toxic environment when you were in the office, uh, it's probably going to be a toxic work environment when you're out of the office and when you get back into it. Uh, so <laughs> Those things that, tend that, to follow you. <laughs> exactly. So with that, let's just let them get on with the show. You know, we we kind of went on and on about it, but it's it's all really good stuff. I, I think you and I could probably do like a five episode series on this. Oh, I think so. I think so. Well, hopefully this one's chock full of goodness. Yeah. So let's let them get on with the show. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, a topic that came to us by way of uh, BBC uh, on a feed. And it just happened to fit into a lot of what we've already talked about and uh, kind of themes that have been top of mind for us anyway, which is why toxic workplace culture follows you home. So. Yeah, and I, I had seen that on my feed. Um and I was like, you know, that's something I had never thought about, but it, it's absolutely true. Um, and especially during, you know, if, if anyone's listening, this is, you know, April of 2021, obviously there's still global pandemic going on. Um, so that's what made this of interest to me. And reading through this article, um, I'll link it in the show notes, but basically the gist of it is, you know, someone was working in a toxic work environment and then the pandemic hit, they had to go home, work from home. And they thought they would get reprieve from this toxic work environment because all of a sudden they're working from home. So they're like, okay, well, I don't have the boss over my shoulder all the time. Some of the micromanagement, some of the toxicity will probably die down. And what they found over time is that it just followed them home and it started making them upset to even be at home. So that's basically the gist of the article. And I thought it was a good topic to have a conversation about right because we have always you know i've always talked about leading is leading whether you're in person or you're remote right yeah for sure and you know trust is the foundation of that and when there is the absence of trust whether it's in a physical workplace or and i imagine it's just amplified for you know many leaders who don't have that trust imbued in in their team already um, but, uh, you know, certainly the absence of it in the workplace when you're in a physical environment, to me, it's that leading cause of toxicity. Uh, and we've talked about this in prior episodes. 
it it just creates damage at so many different levels uh, to the point where you feel like you're constantly looking over your shoulder uh, for who's going to plant the next knife, right? So now, now you layer in things like uh, micromanagement tendencies uh, where, you know, folks want to have additional monitoring, whether it's through TeamViewer or whatever, you know, telepresence uh, utility they might want to put into place. It just exacerbates, you know, what's already a, a trust-based challenge. If you don't have employees that you trust to be getting their work done in a, a, a timely manner, uh, then, you know, chances are you create a, a work, uh, you know, a remote work situation, and it's not going to improve that for anyone in the mix. And, and I, you hit the nail on the head perfectly. And the reason why I bring it up, too, is because us as IT, a lot of times IT leaders get involved with this and especially, you know, system admins, it's like, Hey, can we install something to monitor how productive this person is through the day? And in my opinion, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, you can't measure productivity normally in some kind of metric, right? It's not like most people work in a factory and you can say, you know, Johnny always makes 10 widgets. Uh, let's, let's not say widgets. Everybody says widgets, you know, Johnny makes 10 game controllers every hour. And now Johnny's only making seven since he's been at home. So you don't have those like quantifiable metrics or more qualitative, right? <clears throat> you have to just look, is, is the work still being done? Are tasks being completed? Are they responding to email in a timely fashion? Um, it's easy to tell when people aren't working, right? You can always tell because stuff's just not getting done. And when I was thinking about it, it's not really a technology problem as much as it's a management problem, right? People need to step up and be more of leaders and actually reach out to their people should be the number one thing other than reaching to IT and trying to find some way to, to increase micromanaging. And I always feel like when whiff of those type of tools get out or something like that, you know, the people who weren't working anyways, just find a way to gain the system right? There's like mouse jiggling programs and like all kinds of stuff. Like if someone's going to slack off, they're going to do it whether they're in the office or they're at home. So, you know, don't punish everybody for the actions of just, just a few. Yeah, absolutely. And it just exacerbates that, uh, that root cause of trust. Once again, yeah. um, one of the, the factors that I, I did not hear you mention but that I have come across uh, pretty consistently is the amount of additional meetings that have been piled onto a lot of different teams because they are remote. It's almost as if the insertion of additional meetings has somehow guaranteed increased productivity. But when you start to survey those in your workforce who used to be held to a certain level of delivery and you know, to your point, Maybe Johnny's only delivering seven controllers where he used to deliver 10. Well, when you ask Johnny, you know, what's going on with your time here, pal? He may say, well, I've now got a team meeting for an hour every day, whereas we used to have one once per week, or we used to have a stand-up, you know, and, and now it's been replaced by an hour-long meeting because somehow it feels more effective to certain managers to have people trapped for that period of time as if you can say, you know, at least we're guaranteeing they're working for that hour of the day. But does that really work? I mean, is that effective <laughs> delivery of, uh, 
what you expect your labor force to be engaged in. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's arguable uh, whether or not that's the case. Meetings tend not to be, uh, you know, the bastions of high productivity. <laughs> they're, they're usually where productivity grinds to a halt. And, uh, you know, they can be a great place to share ideas. They can be a great place to status uh, updates, you know, to do presentations, to knowledge share. A lot of those things that are still critical to, uh, you know, good performance in a high performing team. But in terms of actually getting things done, that's not usually the place, you know, where that type of, uh, you know, interaction is, is actually uh, resulting in delivery. One of my mentors, you know, who was the CEO I had worked for uh, earlier in my career, you know, he, he said he really didn't care when the work got done, as long as the work got done. So if you're going to take a three-hour lunch break and you've got, you know, eight hours of work to complete in that particular day, the assumption is you're figuring out where to slot in those other two hours, you know, that you're not being compensated for uh, as, a, as a normal break in your workday. And to me, that's always carried over into part of my own leadership style. As, as long as you are hitting your deliverables on whatever the expectations are, um, then you're working effectively. And unless it's time constrained, you know, that you get it done by 5 p.m. and you're delivering it by midnight that night, chances are that's not, you know, aligned with expectations. But um, otherwise, you know, I, I personally believe there should be some flex in that. I like the idea you brought up flex and and you brought up the one great point there too, right? It was communication, right? You were trusting that work was going to get done, but when, the second you feel like something's not done, you, you go and verify it, right? You you take that time to actually have a conversation with somebody instead of, you know, just stopping and try to put some productivity tracking tool on it. Maybe, you know, you reach out to that person and you find out, Maybe their spouse was just diagnosed with cancer, so their head's not in the game because they're going through this traumatic experience. Um, and those are things you wouldn't know unless you stop and have that conversation with somebody. Uh, if you just throw some type of activity tracker on there, you're going to totally lose context of what's actually going on because maybe they're driving the spouse to the hospital or they're taking care of their kids more at home. Uh, there, there's more stuff at play. So it, I always... Uh, I'm always of the mind of trust your people to do the work, but then verify, right? Trust them until they give you a reason not to trust them. And that first step in that first interaction should be just to have a conversation saying, hey, I, you know, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, seems like you're missing some deliverables here and there or stuff slipping. Is there, is there anything we can do to help you? Um, is, is there anything, you know, that's, you know, blocking you from getting stuff done? I think it all starts there with just having a conversation. Yeah, it's incredible uh, how much, uh, you know, of the gray area can be removed just through communication. And <laughs> from a leadership perspective, communication should be key, right? It's not just about setting the objectives. It's about communicating every step along the way and ensuring that everyone is working in alignment towards those objectives, whatever they may be. And you may have six direct reports, and they're not necessarily all working on common goals. And so you as a leader need to be able to keep track of who's, you know, multi-threaded into whichever, uh, you know, series of objectives. And, uh, you know, an another, it, it sounds trite and sounds obvious, but never assume. 
and <laughs> the amount of time that that tends to foster a lot of the toxicity. I think, you know, it's, it's like people start just spinning up all these conspiracy theories in their heads about what's going on based on assumptions as if they have complete sets of information. And I, I like that you just, you know, walk through an example where maybe you've got a sick family member, you know, uh, something going on with your spouse, you know, something that uh, it, it may also be uh, sensitive to, you know, your colleague to be able to actually disclose exactly what the situation is. In some cases, maybe they don't even know and they're under duress because, you know, now they're trying to wrestle with incoming information about something that's seriously affecting their life, their finances, somebody's health, you know, uh, any number of factors. And, and they are prepared to disclose it when the time is right, but they're still putting together the facts themselves. So, you know, just having the emotional intelligence and the sensitivity to check in with people, um, that can go a long way because if you slap in some kind of monitoring technology, if you're already dealing with issues of trust, all it's going to do is breed further distrust in you as a manager. Uh, and if your style already veers towards micromanagement, <laughs> then you know uh, the the remote work era uh, is one that is is going to exacerbate that even further. Uh, I. I spoken recently to a number of um, associates and uh, in a couple of different types of roles at, at various companies who have really been struggling with this. You know, it's uh, someone is constantly looking over your shoulder and scrutinizing every move that you make, whereas in the past you felt, uh, you know, highly prized for the skill set that you brought to your work. And, you know, you felt like your your delivery was very consistent. And all of a sudden, you know, to be under scrutiny and, uh, you know, micromanagement tends not to help the effectiveness of delivery. In fact, it, it you know, if you from a leadership role uh, are trying to second guess the work steps that uh, your workforce is undertaking, there's a couple of things there. Either you as a leader have not ensured that they're effectively trained in what they're doing right? Or you haven't given them the opportunity. And again, we'll use the term flex to be able to perform and fail so that they can learn from that and continue to enhance and refine uh, what their own, you know, processes are in their, their workflow. You know, that I agree with a lot of what you just said too. And I think you know, when we talk about micromanagement, normally that happens from a lack of communication, right? Or that lack of trust. And one of the things we've talked about before too is just setting up simple work agreements, right? Maybe there is that flex time, but maybe there's a time, like let's say from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern, everybody's expected to be on and available uh, for, you know, reaching out to customers or clients or whatever. Maybe there's a core time of working hours and the rest of the time's flex time. Um, but those are the type of things that come out in work agreements, right? And it can help to keep from hitting those toxic periods where there's these expectations from some management or higher level executive that haven't been communicated down. And they're just assuming that people know what what the gospel is instead of communicating down. Um, and a, a lot of times you see leaders make that mistake where they just assume that people understand how things work because that's the way they work. So they just assume everybody is going to work that way. 
Well, there needs to be communication both up and down. And if you're not communicating your expectations down, uh, you shouldn't really be that surprised if people then run off and do whatever they want. Um, and the whole thing is if you're then going to start doing stuff like that, you need to be open with your communication. If you're going to start putting in these activity tracking things, you should be upfront with your staff right away and say, hey, we're going to put these things on. You know, we're not going to hold you to them. It's just for us to kind of see, you know, where we're losing some time at. Uh, if you put them on, I really feel like you should be telling people that they're there. Uh, especially me, you know, being an IT person, last thing I want to do is start tracking what website somebody goes to and how often their mouse does or does not move. Because to me, those tools are only to keep an honest man honest, right? It's like a lock. A lock is only to keep somebody who's already honest from breaking into something. It's not going to stop the criminal who's just going to get a lock cutter to lock it. So if somebody wants to break the rules, they're going to find a way to do it. Um, it's, it's all back to trust, but verify and communication. And setting expectations. You know, it's the other thing that I heard you say, uh, you know, without necessarily calling it out directly, but, you know, you set those expectations on what's the delivery, you know, uh, you, you alluded to, you know, maybe there are a certain number of hours that are the core hours where everyone needs to be sure that they're available. Um, you know, maybe <clears throat> there's some kind of on-call scenario also where you've got a rotation that's put into the mix because, you know, typically um, you may have work shifts that overlap when you're physically in the office and that's harder to manage when you're remote, but you still need to have that type of coverage. So you can, you know, adapt your way of thinking to put new structures into place where maybe you uh, address something like a you know, a call center uh, with something where you've got, you know, someone who's got the responsibility of on-call and that's only for a 24 or 36 hour period. And then it gets handed over to somebody else and there's a rotation to help balance out the fairness of it. Um, you know, another thing that I think, you know, kind of rears its ugly head when you, you know, take a work, a regular physical workplace environment and you shift to hundred percent remote is some people, even in leadership roles, like to hide behind text, you know, like to hide behind email. And so there tends to be a, uh, uh, you know, more of this approach that is uh, relegated towards, you know, I'm going to send something that I know could be left uh, open to interpretation because it's to my advantage not to be more clear about it. Uh, I, I had an office working situation where, you know, I, my office was literally uh, just one stop outside of a hallway from another leader's office. And yet his preference was always to IM me. And, you know, and I, I can understand, you know, in most cases, you're kind of in between other things. Maybe you're answering an email, you're waiting for a call, you know, you're preparing for a meeting and it's faster to just fling out an IM. But if that's your go-to and you're literally 10 steps away from the other person where you could probably cut down, <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of physical stress on the fingertips, uh, you know, to be on the keyboard the entire time and just walk down the hall and have a conversation. Hey, you got five minutes and just poke your head in and, and actually have that conversation. The same can be achieved in a remote work situation. Uh, I don't know about you, but there, there are certain, you know, coworkers that I have who text is always their go-to. 
that's their preference, even when they're available, even when they're not in a meeting, you know, they would rather IM you back and forth to have a conversation versus just open up, you know, a, a Teams video call or a, a Slack video call or, you know, a Zoom or whatever it is, and just have a direct interaction, you know, and the irony is from a, a time wasted kind of perspective, to me, not only do you end up having all of this back and forth via text where there has to be a, oh, now I'm, now my attention's being carried over here. Oh, and, and what did you just say? And what was that in relationship to? And, <laughs> you know, a lot of this uh, nonsensical back and forth where you could just jump on a quick call and probably address the same types of things in about 30 seconds that might take five minutes if you're in this churn of, you know, continual text back and forth. Yeah, I feel like um, if we go back to the toxic workplace too and, uh, you know, micromanagement, I feel like IMs and emails are, are a micromanager's best friend because it's it's their thing. Hey, see, I told you to do this, right? It's, it's the documentation. If we have that right. in-person communication, they're also the type of person who will send an email five minutes after that saying, hey, I told you to do this and to do that and to do this. Um, I completely agree with you. Sometimes, you know, it's best to just have a phone conversation. And there's nothing wrong with sending. I'm not saying there's something wrong with sending an email five minutes after saying, hey, we discussed that. But the micromanager tendency is to do it all the time, right? It's, it's, they want that documentation so that they can prove that you're not doing your job and you need to be doing what they're telling you to do. Um, so I, I think it's just one of those things. You, you feel out your team and what the best effective way of communication is. And like you said, meetings are not the best gauge of productivity ever. Um, one thing I think people don't realize is a one-hour meeting is not a one-hour meeting, right? It's one hour times how many ever people are in it. So if, yeah. if it's a one-hour meeting with six people in it, that's six hours of productivity you're taking. So you got to make sure that that one-hour meeting is worth six hours of productivity. If it's not, then maybe that's better set for like a project management software like Basecamp or Slack or, or something else, some other communication medium. Um, but but to go back to my point, the you know the micromanagers love using the text and the email because they got the documentation to uh, to get get you there. So well, let's flip perspective here. We talked about what leaders should be doing, but if you're um, the employee and you have the manager, who's the micromanager? How would you go about handling that? Other than leaving your job and finding another one. <laughs> we all know that's the end that that is what will happen if you let that situation go on too long. Somebody's sure. going for something else and they will be gone. Yeah. Yeah. The you know the demands that drive someone towards burnout have just been amplified in the remote work environment. I mean there's uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, those of us who have been able to work remotely throughout the pandemic uh, can count our blessings that we've been able to retain a position, you know, continue to have regular paychecks, you know, at a time where so many others have been suffering through this. But part of the uh, the other side of that is how many people do you know, Nick, who are in a position where they'll say to you, yeah, I don't even ever really take a, a lunch break any longer. 
you know, I just kind of keep working through and maybe I grab something and I just sit here, you know, as I'm like plugging through stuff. And then, you know, right here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've left this, this space today. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the new kid comes home from school and, you know, rather than having a natural break, you know, perhaps to, to interact with them, you're still plugging away at stuff. And then five o'clock rolls around and then maybe it's five fifteen and five thirty and five forty five and six and six fifteen. you know, you haven't really broken away from that flow because the desk that you're sitting in for your office just happens to be the same desk that you'd be sitting in if you're at home. And so that distinction between when to be on and off has to be a really conscientious one. So in answer to your question, my, my first response would be make sure that you manage your own time and that you guard against the encroachment that can naturally come from others in your workplace, particularly if you work in a company that spans time zones. You know, you may have folks who at 8 a.m. in their morning are trying to reach out to you at 6 a.m. in your morning. <laughs> and, you know, you have to have some guardrails in place to ensure that your time is not just continually being infringed on simply because someone can reach out to you, right? So that's kind of that first thing. The second thing is, I think, you know, we're all the CEOs of our own career. And so what that means is it's your job to be your own best leader and your own best representative. And when you feel like there are these infringements that are starting to create toxicity in your own, you know, work engagement, that's when it's time to raise your hand and say, hey, you know, I need to have a conversation here with my direct supervisor. Uh, because there are a few things that are not working for me. And it's, you know, you may be stepping into your, uh, you know, area of discomfort by really kind of laying it out on the line and being honest, but that's what good leaders do. And those who, you know, aspire to a leadership role, even if you're not necessarily, uh, you know, leading others today, you're always leading yourself and you can start with your own actions uh, to, to say, you know, these are the things that I know need to be said. It's going to be uncomfortable for me to say it. Uh, but if I don't say it, the situation isn't going to change. And so what's my alternative? I'm just going to perpetually bitch about it. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you want to change the situation that you're in, then it's time to change your approach. And typically that requires having, you know, what some would call uh, difficult conversations. They're really just conversations the level of difficulty can be met with your own sort of emotional response to, you know, how comfortable you feel in doing it. But the more you do it, like any kind of rigorous exercise, it's painful at first. The pain starts to wear off after a little while until a point where it's just muscle memory, right? And it becomes something that, you know, needs to be done. And it's as easy as saying, you know, hey, before we move on to this next meeting, can we just grab two minutes? Let's drop off this Zoom and jump onto our own private channel. You know, have a quick conversation ourselves. By the way, that thing that you just did there, uh, it, here's how it makes me feel. And I think that's another thing that's sort of important in the sort of structure of how you can have those conversations. Rather than leaping to accusation and blaming someone and saying, you said this about me or you did this 
you know, and shifting into a mode of accusation, I think it's more important to start with where you're operating from. Hey, you said this thing and it made me feel this way. Perhaps that was just my interpretation, but I don't feel good as a result of what I heard from you. And that that has a completely different set of disarming characteristics that open the door for a conversation that can really have a net positive result. All really good stuff. Uh, I would agree with you on every front there. I think the only thing I can add to is when you're being micromanaged, just be an over communicator because sometimes that can kill the micromanagement uh, because a lot of times it's just a trust issue, right? And if you start over communicating, say, hey, you know, I, I replied to an email within an hour. Um, I got all this reply back things. Uh, you know, maybe at the end of the day, say, hey, I've accomplished this, this, and this. This is on my to-do to list tomorrow. It's extra work, but it might resolve some of that micromanagement to the point where eventually that leader will go, oh, hey, you don't have to send me that every day. I, I got you. I know you're working. Um, so sometimes just the matter of over-communication can solve the problem for you. Uh, if, Like you said, if you work across different time zones, you know, you could just let your manager know, hey, I know you're, you start at 6 a.m., but I start at 8 a.m. my time. You know, you're on at 6 a.m. my time, but I'm not on till 8 a.m. my time. So just be aware there's a two-hour time difference uh, where I'm not available till, till I log in. But as soon as I get in, I've, I go through my email right away and I check and see what's in the queue from overnight um, or what, what's urgent. You know, just be an over-communicator and really try to smooth over that situation. If A, and if things don't improve and you do all that stuff that you said, Brian, and you over-communicate, maybe it is time to just start looking for somewhere else to work. Uh, because if, if you do all that stuff and you have those conversations and things still don't get better, you know, pick yourself up and look for some, somewhere else to be. Because uh, at that point, if the micromanagement is just that bad. It's not going to get any better. And if it's stressing you out and you can't handle what's going on with it, then just, just get somewhere else. Get yourself in a better place and go somewhere else. Yeah, you're right. You know, another area that uh, may be improved through all of that over-communication is exactly to that point that you made, Nick, which is if you're dealing with someone who's, you know, at your, a level above you as a manager and they are someone who exhibits micromanagerial tendencies, over-communicating also serves you as a form of documentation. If you need to skip a level and go to their boss and say, hey, I don't know how I'm perceived at other levels in this organization. I believe I'm contributing value. Here's what I can tell you. I'm not feeling that way based on the feedback that's coming to me from my boss. And um, if that's the case, then it's probably the best for all of us if I start looking for opportunities elsewhere. And I would just request that, you know, there's, uh, you know, some, uh, some grace period for me to be able to do that uh, so that I can uh, hopefully be able to grab one vine before I let go of this one and continue to perform, uh, you know, at, at your optimal uh, performance capabilities, you know, until such time occurs. But I wouldn't be surprised if what actually happens is you hear from that skip level manager, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. <laughs> now what's going on? And 
now you've got a paper trail or you've got some context that you can be able to enlarge the conversation with so that you may actually hear something surprising, which is, you know, actually you're not the first staff member to bring uh, this <laughs> to our awareness. Uh, and, you know, what you've documented here is actually incredibly helpful. Um, this this will be uh, enough for us to, to use as the basis for some additional discussions with your own manager. Um, and, you know, hopefully they do come back and say, hey, you're valued here. Uh, what we don't want to do is see you leave disgruntled and particularly if it's a situation that can be remediated, thank you for bringing it to our attention. And whether or not that translates into a raise, uh, you know, title change or anything in that immediate moment, what it tends to do for top level managers is now they see you as someone who is in fact the CEO of their own career and is willing to take steps uh, and have the courage to you know, have those conversations so that it does elevate awareness at other levels in the, uh, the leadership hierarchy. And let's just say, you know, toxic leadership, micromanagement, cost organizations money. Turnover is super expensive. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, if we're talking about somebody who makes minimum wage all the way to the point of people making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Turnover is expensive, you know, it doesn't matter. The, the salary um, or, or pay pay range. It, it just costs organizations money. And most of the time, most leadership want their people to be happy. When they hear that people below them feel anxiety or that somebody stresses them out or stresses a whole team out, then a lot of times, you know, leadership above them tend to take swift action, at least in my experience, to say, okay, something is clearly wrong here. You know, these five people are all saying the exact same thing and they've all talked to me separately. So we need to interject and find out what's actually going on here. Um, and sometimes maybe it's just distant play reaction for the, you know, the leader that's in between. And sometimes it's all the way up to termination. It depends on how sure. grieved the actions are in between. Um, you know, I've, I, I have heard people before talk about situations where they're terrified to go into work. And when some leader in between gets fired they're like oh it just feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders and that's when the leader buffs like well, you know people shouldn't feel that way you shouldn't have to come into work and feel that way because at the end of the day the grand scheme of things what happens at work is really not that important in your life right you know it's important to have a job and to have money and to feed your family but you shouldn't come in every day super stressed out mm -hmm. because if that's the situation then, then something clearly needs to happen for it to be fixed. And if you have voiced some of those grievances and nothing's changing, chances are that's a good indicator that it's time to start looking and move on. Because yep, if that's truly, yeah, that, that may in fact be the culture that your current top level leader is trying to enforce, one that's based on fear. Uh, and it comes from their own lack of uh, skillful means as, uh, as a leader themselves. Yeah, I mean, bad leadership shows, right? And when it's from the very top down, people can tell when there's bad leadership. Like, yeah. you you don't have to, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to walk in somewhere and go, there's bad leadership here. A lot of times when it's poor leadership from the top down and everybody's exhibiting that behavior, it is noticeable, super noticeable. Oh, absolutely. And everybody can tell, and I can tell you the lower level workers will tell you right up front, if something's terrible. Um, so it's just one of those things, you know, micromanaging doesn't work and driving, 
you know, a toxic work environment down. It's going to do nothing but cost you turnover. Um, and you're going to lose a lot of good people who, who might have stayed otherwise. Uh, it, it's a bad practice. and you know, it's, it's the just, vibration of a workplace, right? It's, it's no different than when you walk into a room and there's two people sitting there and they may have just been having an intense argument. And now that you're there, they know they got to cool their jets and, you know, be peaceable and sort of feign, uh, you know, that everything's uh, going smoothly. But, but you as the outsider, you can tell it's palpable, right? You walk in, you're like, whoa, there's a vibe here that's like something's off. That same thing correlates to an entire workplace, right? And, and sometimes you walk into uh, an office or a company and you can feel the good vibes there. You're like, wow, man, this place is humming along. Like there's some really good energy here. People are digging what they're doing. You know, people feel good. You can feel that energy in the air. Uh, you know, it's, it's like ozone after uh, an electrical storm. You know, there's something palpable and, and physical to it. Um, same is true with, you know, the, the toxic work environment. And if, if you've already got that kind of work environment in a physical workplace, just because you've been removed to now working from your home office and connecting into your workplace doesn't necessarily mean that that veil has been lifted, right? <laughs> I know we talked a little bit previously about, you know, the tendency of some folks uh, to hide behind text or email. That to me is also the number one place where I've seen a lot of verbal abuse occur because people tend to be a lot less guarded. It's almost like there's this anonymity that allows them, you know, gives them free license uh, to just have a fire, uh, you know, storm with somebody uh, without really having any consideration to the interpretation that someone else may feel. Um, and also because you don't have the ability to have a sense of tone or whether or not something sarcastic or something serious, something intended as a joke, um, you know, that, that tone is absent just through text. Uh, emojis have helped with that to some degree, but it's still the kind of thing where, you know, you can read some things sometimes and it's like, wait a minute, man, is this like, should I take a screenshot of this so that I can put it in my HR file? <laughs> What's going on here? Are you a Reddit troll? <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said, you know, that the text can, it, it doesn't have the context, right? And, and people can take things out of context too. Even if you've been coworkers for 10 plus years, you never know what that one thing is, uh, that you might say might be taken out of context. So it's best, you know, in written communication, if it can be misconstrued, what you're typing, just don't send it. Um, and, or figure out a new different way to say it where it doesn't seem that way, or just go have an in-person conversation. So that, that's yeah. a great point that, that you brought up there. And with the toxic work environments, if, if it's toxic in the physical location, it's probably going to be more toxic out from, out from the physical location, because there's going to be more than micromanagement. Um, and like, like you were just talking about that, the written communication bullying, I remember seeing a couple of years ago, it was um, about this luggage uh, company. They made like the, remember when those e-bags were popular? Uh, I had to Google this, but uh, it was the CEO there, the founder. Uh, she was known as being such a tyrant and a bully 
in Slack that the employees, a few employees had said, and there was a whole Verge article on this maybe like a year and a half ago. Um, the employees had said that when they could hear her typing, they knew that it was going to be a terrible Slack message that was going to tag everybody in the whole organization. Uh, it was to the point where people had anxiety as soon as they could hear her typing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like requests for everything had to be written in public channels, like requests for your vacations, justifying your vacations in public channels. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, the toxic workplace can, can, you know, drive away good employees. It can kill a whole company. Well, and that touches on one more thing. And I know we're, close to time here, but, uh, you know, those things that you should feel empowered yourself to do at regardless of what level you're at in an organization, sometimes you have to take those steps to be courageous and to say the things that make you feel uncomfortable. One of those things may at times be pushback with your superiors, and it could be your top level superiors. Because I have seen a number of instances, particularly, you know, during this um, unprecedented time of remote work, where, you know, there's a tendency, I, I would call it kind of a, a junior league, uh, you know, manager's, uh, you know, mistake. Um, but there's a tendency to invoke a policy because of the behavior of a single individual. And my way of thinking is policies should be invoked when you've got patterns of behavior that are occurring, you know, in multiple places, multiple different types of levels, you know, multiple divisions across an organization. Um, it's something that may, you know, be like a systemic abuse of some sort. But if you've got one individual and you need to address the challenges related to the behavior of that one individual, you don't need a corporate policy. You need a conversation. <laughs> and so as, as someone, you know, who may be on the receiving end of seeing these policies come out, uh, particularly if you feel like you've got some sense of, you know, understanding the origin of, of where this thing had come from, uh, you know, I, I think it's important for workers at every level to feel empowered to challenge some of those things. Say, hey, just, you know, I, I know we're talking about, you know, putting this new policy in place. I just want to ask, is that really the right thing for our company? I mean, do we have an example where we've got like survey results of where this is happening across multiple departments or multiple types of roles? I, I only know of one instance that I've heard called out. And hey, I get it. I'm not running the company. Um, but, you know, uh, from my perspective, I just don't believe that this is the issue that I see a policy, you know, being authored is intended to address. Uh, and so, uh, you know, trying to create some of those guardrails uh, for yourself in your organization against some of the policies that may be put into place. Again, uh, it may not be a winning battle, but uh, if you've truly got a culture that embraces, uh, you know, thought leadership, then Putting yourself out there in that way, uh, I think it's going to come up, you know, with gold stars for you uh, in the long run, uh, that you are, you are being exemplary in your leadership, uh, even though you're stepping outside of your comfort zone. With that, that's a good place to end, Brian. That's, that's <laughs> a great final note to end on. And just for everyone who is listening, the uh, article 
that I mentioned earlier is from The Verge. Um, the company's name was Away, uh, and it was CEO Steph Corey. So if you look that up on Google, you'll you'll probably find the article. Um, it's a really long read. It's a, it's a good thing to probably read if you are a leader or an employee to uh, get an idea of what toxic work environments are like and, um, you know, seeing some of the tendencies that are behind that. Or if you're just trying to burn some time while you're sitting at the desk. <laughs> there we go. Before we need to micromanage. <laughs> I'm going to wiggle my mouse every five minutes so someone knows that I'm here. <laughs> uh, what's the old trick? Someone's like, just put a stapler on the space, space bars. <laughs> right. <laughs> With that, uh, we'll just uh, close it up. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Nick. A lot of fun.